Hello. Hello. Hello and welcome back to Industry Tactics, a podcast that talks to some of the finest outsider weirdo musicians in this country and beyond. And today my talk links back to several of the prior episodes that you can listen to. Click on the logo Industry Tactics in the top right corner and listen to prior episodes such as my talks with Mendelssohn Joe, Bob Wiseman, Scott Thompson, Christine Duncan. My conversation today links back. You can connect the dots between all these episodes. That's exciting stuff. This is my talk with John Oswald the weirdo composer, a great Canadian instigator and musical mind. He's such an important artist in this country. We, we talk, he gives us a, a walkthrough, like a little tutorial into uh, Plunder Phonics, one of the many things John has been responsible for creating uh, to date in his wonderful career. Familiar music made strange, as he puts it. Uh, man, we barely scratched the surface on this very rich story in, in musical development in our country. Uh, we talk Bats, we talk Murray Schaefer, John Zorn, Eugene Chadbourne, um, Henry Kaiser, you name it. What a, what an interesting talk. Buckle up. Here it comes now, my talk with the one and only John Oswald. Enjoy. I'm so impressed with what you're doing here. Welcome to the podcast. This is Industry Tactics. Uh, okay, I get it. Yeah, so we're using a microphone stand. Well, I am using a microphone stand. I'm John Oswald, and my friend Richard here yes. uh, is using uh, uh, the similar microphone, the same type of microphone, but as a handheld. As a handheld, we're a game show And he's holding it very host. delicately yes. with, Thank with you. one thumb and three fingers. Thank you. Thank you. More like a game show host. Yes, except for the size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs to, we need to triple the length of this mic. But hey, this is the length of my mic. I'm going to use it. It's fine. And right? this is more like radio, so nobody sees the microphones, and small microphones make sense. You get it. Welcome to the podcast. I've been really itching to have you on this thing. Uh, I want to dig into your... And you sound great, by the way. In your headphones. You sound great in my headphones. Yeah, people don't normally say that I sound great under any circumstances, so I'll in say In general. So how do we get this thing started to, to, to bring you on up to speed? Industry tactics will be about an hour conversation here, give or take. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to just, you know, delve into your career as a real, as an experimenter. I don't know how you... Uh, 
how you introduce yourself when you're at a party saying, I'm John Oswald, I, I play the saxophone, I'm a composer. What do you call yourself? I think a, a creative I, soul, that's for sure. I think I still, oh, no, no, she's, she's leaving. We could have gotten mm-hmm. somebody else in here who could oh, yeah. just say how ridiculous it is to introduce me yourself at, a party. at a party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. I think yep. I make it like zodiac signs. You know, somebody says, "What sign are you?" I says, "Well, guess," because I'm always interested in people who are interested in zodiac signs. Yeah, fair and yeah, good. Uh, uh, well, you know, whether they can typecast people as being one of twelve groups that are hooked up to stellar events. Right, and uh, they ha- seem to have a very bad guess rate for at least for me for a, a zodiacal sign. I think, because I always forget which sign I am. You do. You forget which sign you are. Well, it's not something that I use on a day-to-day basis. No. No. So, so what is the... Uh, what would oh, you... what's my structuring thing for well, at a party? I, I, well, first of all, I, I hardly ever go to a party. Good. Two is avoid questions like that. Yeah. Talk Fair about enough. other stuff. So, so yeah, and... It, uh, but then you have like a radio interview and somebody wants to know about your past or something. If they, I if have we no way of structuring yeah. uh, uh, looking into the past. Nor should we. And with, with it, to, to crack open your head, I would say, let's just get into your work and talk about where you come from and how you kind of came to be who you are. Because I'm... For me, you're all of the above. I don't even want to... I don't. I don't think we need to even bother classifying you. You're definitely a Taurus. I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, but where do you come from? As, as uh, we're going to play some of your music too, if you would indulge, yes, uh, of that would be a, that would be a fun thing. So as we talk about it, maybe we can cut to some of it. Yeah. Um, I have listened yeah. to a few episodes. So great, great, great. So, great. I know so you the get the gist. And where where do you come from? The, the, this this world of. Uh, of experimentation, I kind of want to know how it came to be. I might have even have been thinking about that a bit in preparation to talking with you, because I thought you, because you do dwell, delve into the histories of yeah. your of your guests, uh, and I find that if I start thinking back, I mm-hmm. just think about. Uh, the uh, uh, the amount of reinforcement I got about how little musical talent I had every time I wanted to either try to play an instrument or mm. uh, uh, try to work with uh, any kind of uh, traditional musical structures in any way. So, uh, you know, like, uh, music teachers tell me not, say, not is, to come back. Is that, was that, did that start Piano, with teachers? guitar, yep. not yeah. let into the high school band. Yeah? Yeah, well, we ended up stealing some instruments from the high Fucking school a. band. Great. Uh, so it comes I, from that place. It comes from that place immediately. It's like, a, you can't do this. Yeah. It's a cookie jar. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I've ever been accepted into a music program in a university I have managed to sneak into a few. (laughs) Yeah. So you had to steal it. So I wasn't encouraged to be either a musician or particularly a composer. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. So that's where I'm coming from. 
it's it's got this outsider feel to it immediately from an un, unaccepted from a lot of communities perhaps yeah so part of continuing to pursue that thing that I do spend quite a bit of time doing is one of my major interests which is sound and music mm-hmm. and people making music and mm-hmm. other things making sound and music yeah. uh, uh, is part and parcel I think of well, I remember when I was about seven or eight years old I announced to my parents that I wanted to grow up to be a nonconformist yeah baby. I don't know where I picked up the word but it just seemed like amazing what do you want to grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, so if I, was going to, if I was going to be a musician or a composer or something, yeah. which I wasn't yeah. uh, particularly thinking of at the time, I think, mm-hmm. uh, it would have to be a nonconformist musician or composer, which I ended up, when I tried to do things, uh, I ended up, I guess, being a nonconformist or a non-standard kind of incompetent musician or mm. incompetent composer by default because I couldn't even get to the point of doing anything that sounded like normal music badly. Yeah. 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 Wow. Whoa. Love that. Love that. And I, I also, I'm dwelling on the fact that, like, do you, I guess, do you resent this idea that you weren't accepted into some of these groups, whether it be teachers or, or the high school band? Like, do you start collecting a bit of a Oh, this is a thing, like uh, not being accepted. Not so much. I, I, I think I'm regularly jealous of people that have great musical facility. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, some things, like you can, they can do things fast. Okay. They can do gotcha. things well. Gotcha. gotcha. They, get to, they get to play with more people. They because do. Because they can play in... Uh, they're either famous for playing in one style of music or they are versatile and they can play in all sorts of styles. Yeah. Uh, um, That's so interesting to me, to me, that we all have this, I think, a little bit, a little bit, whether or not you, but we all have uh, our educations and we all, whether however we got it, whether we stole some of those band instruments or, or, or got it along the way. I'm interested to know how you kind of did acquire your knowledge base and your mm-hmm. your your the way you go about it because the way you go about it is very to me um like i you are who you are because in a lot of ways of the like you come at it from such an interesting perspective that i don't know if you're going to pick that up in a traditional in a in a more traditional way of getting it right yeah and that's what i've been thinking about uh in relation to expecting that you would ask a question like that Mm. uh i wonder to what extent and not necessarily even in music it could have been in something else like uh various kinds of uh, visual arts that i've also continuously dabbled in yeah yeah. uh, and my limitations in those things Uh uh-huh just anything like being colorblind or uh there's there doesn't seem to be uh this thing that i'm uh, where i'm perfectly adept at doing uh any kind of uh, well-established role of doing something and i wonder if i would have fallen that if i followed that if mm-hmm. i was encouraged mm-hmm. To be, you know, if if I was uh, extremely talented at the piano, mm-hmm. I would go to my first piano lesson. My piano teacher says, "Hey, hey, 
let's 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 continue that. Uh, I can't remember. Ah, uh, I, I was encouraged uh, at one point to be a writer, mm-hmm. uh, but I think I managed to trick uh, those who were judging me into thinking that I was a good writer. Uh, I won uh, uh, in high school when I was in the tenth grade, mm-hmm. second year of high school. Mm-hmm. I won the high school literary award for the submission I'd made. Okay. And what I had written and uh, and entered under a pseudonym. Awesome. So it confused awesome. them for a while. There was announcements over the. Uh, the PA system. Well, Delazlo Nodge, please come to the office. Which Amazing. Was, which was Amazing. A, <laughs> an anagram of my name. Right, okay. Um, and what I had written was a bit of a parody uh, of uh, known figures in the high school, including the, the principals and the teachers and some oh, of the students. Oh, boy. In a uh, Joycean Finnegan's Wake kind of style, okay, which might have also been impl- in, influenced by some of John Lennon's writings around that time, that and were, were also you, in that kind of punning style. Were you reading that at the time? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, cool. Uh, uh, I, I think I enjoyed reading books about Finnegan's Wake more than I directly enjoyed reading Finnegan's Wake, but mm-hmm. I really kind of s- stuck with it since I was about 13. And where'd you go, where'd you go to high school? Side book. Uh, in Kitchener. Kitchener, Ontario? Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Right on. The, uh, Earth. the Silicon Valley of, uh, of, of Canada. <laughs> okay, or uh, the, the I, home I, of innovation herself. Yeah, I've noticed, yeah, I've yeah. noticed there's some yeah. of that stuff going on. Uh, when I was young, uh, the mathematics department at the University of Waterloo was uh-huh. a really big thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They had a big building where people ran around tending this one big computer that was filling up the building. So you were a shit disturber back then in your, in your like that's a... Well, that, I, that I a... definitely was, yeah. And you won an, an award for it? Well, I won an award for that writing, uh, that, that piece of writing, because maybe it was kind of clever. Uh... uh it was Mela December Hanner, Hanner being Henry, which was one of the the uh, vice principals. Mm-hmm. It was Mela December Hanner singing little attunes who happened upon. I can't even remember the rest of the first sentence. Bloody hell, the fact that you remembered any of it is is, is joy to me. Well, what's interesting is there seems to be a, kind of a musical theme in there. I'm hearing it. Yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just, yeah. uh, I don't know, something like 500 words. Yeah. Uh, but that caused a couple of, uh, when I admitted that, because, yeah, hey, I it got was a prize. You? I want to. I'm Mr. Nodge. No prize money, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want the acclaim. Uh, uh, the, a couple of the English teachers really encouraged me to do that kind of stuff. And 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 was music in your life at that at that point, like, or or not getting into band and stealing some band instruments might yeah, have been. Yeah, well, we stole band instruments, uh, uh, and we had the opportunity to do it because uh, the school band was going to get a whole new set of instruments. Okay, and we asked if we could have or buy the old instruments. And they uh-huh. said, "No, we got this deal to send them to this junk dealer or something." brass junk dealer right right and so we we just purloined a, f- a few things including a saxophone that i used for a few years uh 
that were, uh, and this was with the help I of one this. of one of when I say we, yeah, 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 I was going to ask uh, this guy, Greg Kozak, who's hopefully somebody you'll get to talk to sometime. Although he's based on the West Coast now, yeah, uh, great was in the school band. He got accepted in the school band. And he was okay. a percussionist, and he continued to be a percussionist. Uh-huh. And now he's got this, uh, for many years, this internationally touring uh, group called Scrap Art Music. Yeah. Oh, the guys that we went to see in in uh, your fiefdom up there in uh, whatever that town is. That in is Brampton. North, in Brampton. You and I yeah. went to yes, see we, Greg play there. Yeah. We did. Yeah. So it, full circle. Yeah. So yes. he, he and I in high school thought we should form a band, and I guess our idea was well, if we get some other people who would play in the band, we'd mm. be like a band. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we'd be like the Beatles or something. Sure. Uh, and we uh, made announcements and uh, set up for a rehearsal at the high school, mm-hmm. and a, a motley crew uh, showed up, including particular friends who didn't necessarily play instruments mm-hmm. uh, and fun we just improvised fun i mean we just made a bunch of noise him him you on sax him on drums i may have been playing sax i may have been playing violin i found a violin at okay. our house that okay. nobody ever admitted ever great. having played in their lives great uh but I like how we you really made it. a lot of noise. Yeah, and uh, one guy with an electric guitar who could get a little bit louder it was obvious that he was badly trying to play rock chords and things. Yeah, yeah. But he never came back after the first time we got together. Yeah. And uh, we never had any rules about how we were playing, so I guess we were playing free improvised music. And I think something that was interesting in my development as yeah. a saxophone player, because I never played the saxophone before. I, perhaps the first rehearsal was the first time I tried to get a sound out of it. Yeah. I remember for about two weeks, I was playing with uh, the, the mouthpiece upside down. Awesome. So the reed's on top, and it's quite possible to do that, but it's a lot harder to play that way. Right, and there's no YouTube. And then I figured out that, yeah, it's better this way. Yeah, yeah. Years later, I was at an exhibition in Vancouver of um, Hmm. early musical instruments, and there was one of Adolf Sax's first saxophones on display, and the mouthpiece was set up like that with a reed on top. Go figure. So I I thought, you know, especially me, because I discovered for myself, which I should should put up my hand like a good student and tell somebody, the curator there, that it was upside down. But she insisted that, no, they had researched it, and it was supposed to be that way. Wow, wow. Which I'm still doubtful of. I haven't found any, I haven't done any... Deep research on it's that. It's a beautiful but, cover-up, though, for a for a, an awesome error that she that right. It would be a great cover-up to just yeah. say no, no. This is but 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 that is a beautiful story. To, to, I want to believe it because it so matches your evolution into the instrument, just figuring it out, and the way you come to it is is such a natural thing. And and I know what you do on the instrument. I know sort of you know. Where does that all like? I'm interested in how that evolved. From well, the there. next like, step in that, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, the, uh, uh, a portion of my musical life is playing improvised music, yeah, and, and any kind of live performance or playing with other musicians is improvised music. I mean, those are the only 
uh, people that ever asked me to mm-hmm. play with me. Mm-hmm. I have set up situations where I'll have uh, someone playing Bach cello suites or something like that, and I'll yeah. play along. Yeah. That started with Bob Wiseman, who was learning mm-hmm. some Chopin pieces, and mm-hmm. wanted me to play along with him, mm-hmm. playing the Chopin pieces. But it, wow. almost always it's been improvised. Musicians let me play, because I improvise. Right. And uh, That's cool. because I'd play everything else so badly, I warn people who don't have an improvising band. I played a few times with a uh, rock band in the a punk uh, band in the mid-70s in Toronto called the Art Boys. Okay. And uh, they styled themselves as anarchists, but uh, uh, and I told them that, you know, I, I, I'm your guy. <laughs> well, I'll play with you, but... Yeah. Um, uh, be forewarned that yeah. uh, it might not be what you expected. Okay. So they okay. were kind of surprised that I would uh, mostly play when the singer was singing and not play in these things where they kind of point at me right. to do the saxophone solo. Right. I just awesome. played whenever I wanted, including between the songs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And how did the anarchists digest that? They were uh, they? Well, I don't know if the band <laughs> lasted much over after a couple <laughs> yeah. of gigs, but yeah. I think I did a couple of gigs with them. But uh, quite wow. often... People would be surprised yeah. at how seriously I seem to take this idea of n- not following structures. And um, I don't know. Maybe this is this is you, though. I mean, the, well, like, then there's you know, the other side of me, right? Because yeah. I do extremely structured things, right? Right. Uh, in this, using the studio as a composing instrument, using right. computers, et cetera, et cetera. Right, 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 right. Uh, there are quite often uh, empirical structures where I just sort of discover, okay, this is going to be a structure and this is all the things I have to do to structure yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily a disorganized person in doing those things, but yeah, I'm completely right, right. disorganized playing the saxophone. Yeah, yeah, no, well, well put, and, 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 either yeah exactly it would be unfair to say that that your body of work lacks structure it's just a different way of going about it i and i want to i want to kind of get to a point where let, let's let's keep where going that with can this. be used as an uh, uh, we, yeah. we can make an aphorism about some kind of musical uh some kind of industry tactic that yes let's applied, let's work it towards <laughs> a tactic for our disorganized gentle listeners yes so john can we um Let's take a, a break from this. Let's let's listen. Let's give a little ear cleaning for our, our, our humble listeners. Um, if you're if you're listening at home, tweet us at Industry Tactics. Let us know what you're thinking. What can we cue up for the listeners that would be a nice taste, a first listen for them of, of your work potentially? Ah, well, uh, I think we're going to uh, then swerve away from the saxophone. Okay. Although I was tempted. Uh, this is yet another digression, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, back in 1976 or 77, I was uh, asked to play on a rock tune down, mm. down in California by a guy mm-hmm. named Owen Merricks mm-hmm. called 60 Cycle Hum, hum oh, a screaming wow. rock tune, and I wow. did that. What a cool... And uh, yeah. just in the last couple of weeks, uh, Owen Merricks has arisen again after many years of raising two-headed reptiles was his specialty in his... 
you're, pet store. And, you're not making that up. Like he's raising two headed. He sounds perfect for California. That's he's, California he's material. He's making his second album uh, 41 years after his first album, and he just sent me a track in the last couple of days that uh-huh. he wants me to. Amazing! Amazing! Um, would Would you like to hear "60 Cycle Hum"? Can we? Yeah, it's not my you know it's his song, but I you're, play you're the playing on it, on and it. you're playing the saxophone on yeah. it, which which works perfectly as a segue of what we were just listening to. So you can, and if I've, you can I've listened to the production to value okay. on your thing, and then, yeah. yes, I know that you do put the tracks in afterwards. Yeah. But it seems kind of like you at least listen to a bit of it before you Great. talk to it afterwards. Great. So we'll here here it comes now the sixty cycle. Oh, okay, give me a second. Huh, no, we'll we'll cut. We'll cut.
John Oswald, that was the 60 cycle hum that you just heard from? From Owen Merrick's uh, debut album back in 1977. He's making his second album as you and I are speaking. And you got a call for that in what, 1975, 76 to play on that record or what, or around then? Uh, this would be probably all happening in 1977. You're, and, and so he, he finds you. How does he find you? He found me through the guitar player that we were just talking about, Henry Kaiser, which we may not have talked about on the <coughs> previously on your, on your tape there. Yes, yeah. we were talking over the yeah. music there. Yeah, um, and so you had a relationship. And how did Henry Kaiser find me? Exactly, well, that's interesting yeah. because that brings us to I think <laughs> an important figure both in the improvised music field and otherwise, this guy Eugene Chadbourne. Sure, we know Eugene Chadbourne. Uh, you, and you, you worked with have, him. You may have run into him yeah. in the, the festival. Exactly in Hamilton. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, Hamilton Festival. Yep, yep. Well, Eugene uh, grew up in Calgary. He was. Uh, I didn't know he was Canadian. Uh, well, his he was American. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. He and his brother were brought up from the states by his parents to. Uh. Wow. Avoid the Vietnam War. Oh, wow, sick. And in Calgary, he was an extremely young reviewer for the Calgary Herald. He was maybe about 16 when he was reviewing all sorts of music, classical concerts, rock concerts, etc., etc. Wow, John. And playing the guitar. Uh, and he made a couple of acoustic guitar solo albums in California. Uh, in California. In, in Calgary. In Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, C-A-L, Calgary, yeah, exactly. California. Yeah. wonder if there is a Calgary, California. California, Ooh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, which were surreptitiously, surreptitiously recorded at the CBC studios in, in Calgary, going at night. Hmm, and cool. I can't remember the guy's name now, but the uh, engineer there would, re, would record. I went in there once to get recorded. Wow. Uh, and he put out two albums, which were this uh, these uh, lightning rods for people who were doing improvised music in North America. Because mm-hmm. people had found stuff uh, by that time in Europe, particularly coming from, I think, England and uh, Holland. Mm. This is in the early 70s, this yeah. improvised music thing. But here's this guy in North America who put out records of this stuff that sounded kind of like the European stuff, which was purely improvised and seemed to get much further away from jazz than uh, uh, other people we were listening to, like uh, uh, who did very improvised music sometimes, like Anthony Braxton, okay. uh, Cecil Taylor, yeah. uh, uh, all these guys in the late 60s, yeah. screaming Pharaoh Sanders, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a different kind of music. And Eugene uh, hooked people up. So at a certain point, he moved to New York City. His brother also moved to New York City. His brother was running the Beaker Street Cinema in the mid-70s. And I remember going over to Eugene's apartment in New York City to Mm. play some music Mm. with a a guy I'd met in Toronto, another American, Miguel Miguel Frascone. And Miguel was playing flute at the time, and he brought a flute along, and I brought a saxophone, and we went over to Eugene's apartment to play. Yeah. 
And uh, Eugene says, oh, my, uh, it was in the afternoon, but he says, my brother's asleep in the other room because he's got to work all night at the cinema. And uh, maybe we can go to the park, which would be Central Park, and play. There's also another guy there with a guitar who was Henry Kaiser. Okay. So we went to the park, and I remember we were sitting on rocks, and Eugene and Henry seemed to be... uh, and. Eugene had just met Henry, who had found out about Eugene because of these solo records, and then uh, uh, probably uh, letter correspondence, writing letters okay. to each other, okay. or getting on the telephone. If I know yeah. Henry, got on the telephone. Yeah. Uh, so these two guys were playing acoustic guitar in the park. There was this uh, uh, drum circle that was happening over there. Wow. Miguel wow. and I were playing flute and saxophone. I was trying to play not too loud so I could try to hear these guys, but I yeah. couldn't really hear them at all. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, uh, about a week later, I got a call from Henry, who uh-huh. was back in uh, the uh, San Francisco, Oakland area by okay. that time, asking if I wanted to do a uh, California duo tour with him of guitar and saxophone. Oh, so Beautiful. So I said, yeah. Although I really hadn't heard him at that point. I hadn't heard what he sounded like or anything. But I went there to do that. How old are you at this time? Early 20s. Beautiful. What a great great phone call to get. But Eugene is very good at finding very interesting people and and making connections. And uh, he's, I think, probably the unsung instigator of a lot that happened in the New York City, what was called the downtown scene. Uh-huh. So first time I heard of at least John Zorn was Eugene oh, discovering yeah? John Zorn, who was extremely, let's say, reclusive in his habits. He just yeah. Nobody, I think, at that point would hear John Zorn doing anything because of the way he, he presented himself. Uh, but Eugene was always looking for opportunities and what do you mean by that, the way he presented himself? Like he was kind well, of. Well, uh, for instance, at that time, I, I first met uh, Zorn up in, here in Toronto because Eugene brought him up. And yeah. uh, uh, Zorn did a little master class up at York University and he okay. was presenting his compositions. And his compositions yeah. were perhaps printed on cigarette papers. Uh-huh. I know that uh, concerts that he was doing in New York, he would make these little cigar bands, if you can imagine something that's about an inch wide and about half an inch high, which in a tiny print would announce his concerts. And the concerts he was doing at the time were the Theater of Musical Optics, uh, which was a presentation of uh, little pieces of things onto this little stage that was maybe four inches by four inches that had a little uh, light panel in the middle about an inch or two square. And uh, he would uh, announce the the length of this piece that he wanted pre- to present yeah. and the maximum number of people in the audience. Well, sometimes one, it was sometimes two. And uh, they always happened at midnight. This is This is the best. So how do you how do you So that's early Zorn. So that's what you mean Another by Another guy like, down there Mark Miller had a little yeah. festival and he said John I want you to play at the festival with with the group that you are He had a group with Polly Bradfield on violin and Eugene Chadbourne on guitar. Okay. When do you want to play? And he said what day are the festivals? What's well, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and we still have the the place on Monday. But he said, oh can I play at uh, 9 a.m. on Monday morning? Awesome. That was John back then. 
So the, you're saying the way he presented himself was just like... Well, he didn't present himself. He didn't try to be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah discovered yeah. and... Uh, yeah, interesting. He had no great intent to have a larger audience, it seems. Huh. Um, but he's a very interesting guy. Yeah. And really great to play with. Wow. That's beautiful, man. Eugene Chadbourne really sounds like a, a connector of a lot of unique artists at that time eh? and I mean, I mean he remains doing yeah. his thing and, and well and very iconoclastic and, yeah, uh, and yeah. he might have connected but he also uh, uh, drummed up a lot of controversy in the improvised music scene because uh, mm. he put out this, this country and western record right. with funny little improvised right. things in it um, yeah. <laughs> back yeah. in about 1970 Six, uh, seven, 77 I think 78 maybe 79 but uh, that just that was shocking at the time yeah so it did cause a controversy at that, at that oh, time everybody I talked like, to seemed to be <laughs> upset about it it's I pretty it. it's pretty punk rock I mean very I think he also sang on it yeah. and Eugene's singing is, is uh, for a lot of people an acquired taste yeah 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 and so, so you get the call. Do you do that tour? Is that how you got out to San Francisco to do this recording? Uh, it may have been that time. It may have been another time okay. because Henry and I did a making... bunch of things wow. for wow. a couple of years there and stay in touch. But uh, Very cool. So, I had no idea you were connected with Henry. That's awesome. Yeah, so Henry connected with uh, Owen. Yeah. And, and, now, and then he raises two-headed reptiles for two decades? Well, for several decades. And has stopped making music I mean, it was for... A, it was a big pet store with an extra-large wow. reptile section, but... Unbelievable. His, his big thing was looking around for things with two heads, amphibians. Industry tactics. And, Are you paying attention? We're going into some weird wormholes here. Um, some and, and musicians he, have have interesting sidelines and you interesting are one things of them. they focus on. Now, John, are, are, I, have, I have no interest at all in two-headed reptiles. Oh, come on! You've been paying attention. <laughs> um, so, so did he call you and want to make a re- like? Does he want you to keep recording with him now? Are no, you? We're going to just do another song, sort of like sixty so, cycle hum. So beautiful. That's charming. Will you go out there, or he'll come no, here? I'm, I'm just seeing the track from here. Great. That's so great that you get this call out of nowhere. From someone you you know, it felt nice to hear from. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful track though. Like you're playing on that. Is that is that one of your earlier recordings? Like, are, are you like? Yeah, the beat. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's so punk rock. Oh, thank you. And and so from there, how did? What, wait, do you do you go to university? Like you you were we we we've been jumping all over here. And that's this is fine. something that you might find interesting. I went yeah. out to. Uh, uh, Vancouver yeah. from Kitchener after uh, finishing high school and spending a year hanging around or taking classes and um, uh, when I was in high school I had a I had radio shows on the two universities the one that's now Wilfrid Laurier which at the time was Waterloo Lutheran University okay wow. they managed to keep the same initials when they changed the name clever and the other one the University of Waterloo each had a radio station and I was I had a show on those radio stations, and I went to that uh, to University of Waterloo for a year. Uh-huh. Then I just left Kitchener. I tried to talk all my friends into also moving out to Vancouver. Oh wow! So I 
wouldn't go somewhere I'd never been before all by myself because I hadn't really been by, all by myself before. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I went out to Vancouver was to go to school and to go to Simon Fraser University and uh, I entered the communications department. Simon Fraser go. did not have a music program at the time and to hang out with this uh, interesting-seeming composer guy who was in the communications department, who I thought, from hearing his name on the radio, I thought his name was Murray Schaefer, which it is. Mm -hmm. But they always would say, Our Murray Schaefer. Our. They were saying, Our Murray Schaefer. He is ours. Yeah, Our Murray Schaefer. So I thought, We well, invested he, him. He seems in to him. be, you know, yeah, he seems to be kind of a big wig. We're shareholders. So, yeah, so I was out there and I was taking classes from Murray Schaefer. Whoa, uh, whoa. And um, I worked with the, the World Soundscape Project a bit. In uh, those like years around sound? 74, 75, uh, editing uh, uh, programs they were working on. Unreal. And doing some organization uh, at the studio they had. Uh, but uh, I don't think I recorded anything for them. This is charming. So Murray Schaefer was there. Also, a big thing about going to. Uh, uh, Vancouver is, yeah. as I said, I was playing with this band, uh, playing improvised music in Kitchener, and I never played when it wasn't with the band. Just get, okay. get the saxophone out or the saxophone and the violin and play with the band. Mm -hmm. So uh, I took the saxophone along when I went out to Vancouver, mm -hmm. and I started playing it by myself in this basement apartment I was in, and it was the first time I heard myself play. Mm. Uh, after playing for maybe a year or something before that, so what do you mean? Like, well, because the band was noisy, we just all oh, made noise. Shit. And, okay, and okay, gotcha, uh, gotcha. I, I think my ability to discern things was—I mm -hmm. mean, I liked hearing things, but making sense of things was Got it. very difficult then. Um, as a kid, I'd listen to things like symphony orchestra records, but I had mm -hmm. no idea what the instruments or anything because I never. Mm -hmm. Psalm Symphony Orchestra, so I, I, I and I, I don't think I made that much effort to try to define what was going on mm. in music, mm. including things like meter mm. or whatever key something was in, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Partly because I had difficulty distinguishing those things and sticking with those things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that applied to everything, including in improvised music. I seem to have started just by, you know, wiggling the keys and blowing in it. Figuring wow. out that it was easier to blow in it when you turn the mouthpiece around. But I wasn't somebody that had an idea that I was, that I, that the sounds I'm making sounded like this and this and that yeah. and that. Yeah. It, yeah really came with screaming and performing, like we sometimes performed in front of people, Yeah. Um, uh, with this band, and then being stuck and discovering you know, some of the sounds I made that I didn't like and maybe whittling away at it a bit. And so that would be a couple of years before the 60 Cycle Hum recording we made there. So I had a little bit more awareness of what I was doing, uh, um, but as you mentioned before, it seemed pretty unstructured. Did that go well? 
Like the, the, you're obviously getting the call back, mind you. It was many decades later that uh, Owen got the courage to call you back. I guess he just. But 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 did that go well? Like, was that session well received? Were they into it? What you? I was into it because uh, I don't think I've been into a recording studio like this yeah, before. It was a yeah. house that was overlooking the Pacific, somewhere near oh. Santa Cruz, oh. and the guy who was the owner of the studio and the engineer in this house. Nice. He would press go on the multi-track tape recorder. Yeah. Then he would climb through this hatch, and he'd go down in the garage and work on his Harley Davidson, which was, seemed to be his only real Random. interest. That was Chopper. I really like your answer there. I was into it. I think that's the main thing. Well, I, I mean, got to stare out the window at the Pacific Ocean while I was playing that, that solo. That's and, healing. Um, yeah, good. Wow. Wow, I love how you come to it. I really do. I think, because I think a lot about language... There <laughs> seems to be some luck in it. Well, yeah, you go out to Simon Fraser. Just Did you just, I I'm mean, and you stumble sure, upon I'm Murray? I'm pretty sure, well, I'm pretty... Uh, uh, anytime I went to university to do anything, I yeah. seemed to have done some prior research. Okay. And I would go and say to professors, I want to study with you. Yeah. Um, rather than saying I want to do this course or that course, I was trying to find interesting people. And he seemed like an interesting person. A hundred percent. Did uh, did he kind of change your your path at, at all? Uh, I remember thinking that he was particularly smart and interesting compared to a lot of people I'd met. And uh, I think the one thing that probably changed was. Uh, his ability, not so much ability, his focus on things like quiet, noise pollution, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it just made me realize how much I really liked quiet places as well as making lots of noise or making or being noisy things and listening to very noisy music. Right, 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 right. Um, That I did like both. I, I would go back and forth from... Uh, uh, an electric Miles record like Live at the Fillmore mm-hmm. to um, I didn't listen to any Mantovani, but I really liked easy listening music. So mm. uh, it mm. could have been uh, mm. uh, the you know, soothing sounds of the organ played by Dick Hyman mm. or the Enoch Light Orchestra or something. And then I would switch, uh, okay, time to hear some. Screaming Pharaoh Sanders, now yeah, it's time yeah. to switch over to Stockhausen. Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, so I did like wow. extremes, gentle music. How do you come across some of these, some of these folks? Like, are you hungry for, are you a real hungry listener at that uh, throat? Yeah, I bought a lot yeah. of records yeah. in high school from about um, age of 12 or 13 to possibly when I went off to... Simon Fraser. Out at Simon Fraser, I discovered there there was UBC also. And UBC had a very particularly nice record library where they were just all in bins. You didn't have to ask for what the record was. And unlike a record store, they weren't all wrapped up in in shrink wrap. So you could grab any record. Mm -hmm. And I do remember having records piled up from my, my... uh, extended arms up under my chin and go to one of these little kiosks and just commandeer another kiosk yeah. that was piled up with records and I just beautiful. needle drop through beautiful. these things looking for something interesting. Beautiful. I sort of see how 
slowly but surely we're we're kind of getting to plunder phonics in a way like for me like it, it kind of feels like i like i'm i'm seeing it form like when when it goes back before that though yeah so yeah. <laughs> uh the the first my i always think my first musical instrument was this transistor radio i got when i was Fucking about a. eight or Ten years old, yeah. and the fact that I really like listening to the shortwave radio and the tuning thing of getting between stations and hearing all those whistle tones and you're beautiful and hearing strange sounds. So you can play it kind of like a synthesizer, right? And even with something like AM radio, because that was the other choice this is before FM was at least available to me. Yeah. Uh, when you tuned into a station, you never really knew when you were like really locked into the signal because right. it was kind of like right. a tone control. Right, right. You could have kind of a trammely thing or a bassy thing. Right, right. Happening. Yeah. Uh, so I would fiddle with things and then I got a record player and the record player had four speeds. 16, mm-hmm. 33 and a third, 45 and 78. Mm-hmm. And classical records, which are kind of long, you know, whether it was Beethoven or particularly there was uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, mm-hmm. kind of long, uh, uh, two sides, 16 minute things, mm-hmm. 16 minute parts, mm-hmm. sounded really great at 78, and it didn't take so long. It sounded kind of like a gamelon, which is something else that I found uh, the Non Such Explorer series, uh, Music of the Morning of the World, uh, uh, Balinese gamelan. Yeah. And uh, there was just seemed to be something in this kind of clattering I heard. Again, no way of really analyzing yeah. how does how's this music structured. Yeah. Are they improvising or not? I don't know. Yeah. Like, what are all these people doing? Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, the Rite of Spring sounded really great, speeded up yeah. about uh, a bit more than twice as fast. So I was already fiddling with stuff yeah uh i remember now that we're talking about it or now that i'm talking about it so yeah. i'm talking too much here don't you, you it should be a conversation but he just, ju- he just jump a, in at anything he any, just any, apologized no i'm trying not to be italian with this podcast it's a it's a <laughs> practice of mine so this was in the eighth grade and mm. eighth grade was really interesting for me because being a bit of a troublemaker mm. i for the first time was kicked out of what was always called the brain class. Although mm-hmm. I was always the bottom person in the brain class. I always had the lowest mark. That's where you want to be. The class I was always in each year. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to middle school, switching to another school in seventh grade, I was still in the brain class because my marks were just high enough for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was decided by some teachers that I was a, a big troublemaker, although I kind of noticed that play softball with these teachers quickly but they you know uh, they decided to put me into something called senior remedial and that was for people who were kind of on deck to quit school at 16 Uh, a lot of them very interesting people a lot of them uh, fairly quickly went to to prison they got out of school for various things uh, some of them uh, were either the kids of Satan's Choice guys or they were already lined wow. up to be in the Satan's wow. Choice. Right. So I went to a class that was very different and brain. from the brain class. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. It was a really, really kind of great learning experience after I got over the shock of 
Yeah. I'm suddenly in a whole different society here. Yeah. But one of the things I remember in the eighth grade was <laughs> our library teacher was also our, uh, well, I guess we didn't have a library class, but the librarian was also our music teacher. And I remember bringing in a fake recording one day. By that time, for, uh, and this didn't seem to be connected with my being particularly interested in sound, I think, but mm-hmm. my parents had friends who had a kid who was a real uh, investigative kind of gear nut and everything, and, yeah. and they had bought him a little reel-to-reel tape recorder. Oh. So they bought me a reel-to-reel tape recorder for a birthday present. Okay, okay. And uh, I started fiddling around with that, uh, uh, playing tapes backwards and stuff. Um, uh, uh, playing around with the two different speeds and recording things, etc. So I did this thing where uh, we had a microphone in, a, I think, an acoustic guitar that I had that we were shaking, and uh, we were uh, playing uh, rattles and things. This was a friend of mine from down the street. Yeah. And I made this thing that sounded kind of like African music to me. Wow. To me. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 12-year-old at the time. Wow. So I took this tape in, and I said, hey, my uncle just came back from Africa and he's got this great tape that maybe we can play in our music class. So we listened to this tape in the music class. And I'm pretty sure the music teacher did not think that this tape came from Africa. Oh, we also played, I think, penny whistles or slide whistles maybe on on this thing. Um, But she let me get away with it. Uh, So there, there there was making fake music. In the same way that uh, somebody that I ended up have have ended up playing with a lot, Michael Snow, made this record. The, do you know about the last LP? No. They're all fake recordings of uh, the last recordings made by um, isolated groups around the world who unfortunately uh, died out soon after the recordings were made. Sometimes suspiciously, if you read the liner notes, okay. because. The uh, the rec- the recordist may have given them a flu bug or something. The, so, being Michael Snow, the recordist. So this is a completely fictitious. Like, the, you're talking about cultures, all, he, groups, he, groups he, of people. He recorded all this stuff on a four track in his kitchen. And and he made it. He, he made it like a like an anthropology gone wrong. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I, think it's I don't have anything in here. But very cool. Very one, cool which is uh, a Whitney Houston tune that's been kind of revamped, and it sounds pretty African to me still. And it's just Mike. This is of yours? Uh, no, this is Mike. This is this all is Michael Mike. Snow. Okay. Uh, nothing to do with this recording. Uh, oh, I see, I see. The last I LP see. by Michael Snow are fake recordings. Uh, but I had done a fake recording kind of like that. This con- That concept's beautiful. That concept's beautiful. I mean, it's, it goes in line with Mr. Nodge, too, in a lot of ways on mm-hmm. your end of, of just kind of... Uh, uh, falsifying or just just kind of you 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 like that eh? You like this idea of of make of 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 changing the the truth. Fake. You're getting into a little bit of the fake news vibe there a little uh, bit. Well, I think uh, yes. Early on, I liked getting away with. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, faking something like, like or, War of the Worlds kind of art in a way, right? Or it's, uh, you know, to a <clears throat> uh, to a degree, uh, some kind of uh, plagiarism. Yeah, it's partly yeah. not being talented yes. in anything. So if I trace something that looked really great, I could say that was mine. But I quite quickly got out of that. 
Um, because it's sort of a dead end street anyway. And what do you mean? Interestingly, well, you got out of so let's let's uh, yeah. plagiarism back yeah. back yeah. in the '90s. There were quite a few musical groups, particularly in Europe. Yeah, uh, 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 people related to sound and music in some way, and art in some way, mm. uh, who were celebrating the idea of being plagiarists, of of not having any identity to whatever was being made. Mm-hmm. And if they took something lock, stock, and barrel, they could say it was theirs or something like that. Whereas I very quickly thought, and this happened during the 80s when mm-hmm. samplers came along, mm-hmm. and the way of uh, working with samplers in pop music and in hip-hop seemed to be that it's okay to sample anything, mm-hmm. including other people's music, and put it in your music, as long as you don't go around saying, hey, that's particularly a Herb Albert thing, or you mm. immediately get sued. Mm. Or you wouldn't say it was a James Brown thing, because you'd also get sued. Mm. So there'd be something like in 1989, uh, uh, Public Enemy put out something that I remember buying as a cassette. So the, the print was really tiny in there, because mm. they gave thank yous to 200 people Oh. in the cassette oh, yeah, yeah. liner for Internet, that, yeah. and probably on the LP record also. Right, right. And I went through all of them looking for a thank you to James Brown. It wasn't mentioned at all right. because they didn't want to officially associate that, yeah, we're using these James Brown things. This is back when people weren't doing sample clearances. Right. You just tried to make sure you didn't say you were using this or you tried to change it in some way oh. so you could say it was your music. Right. Uh, I thought a better way was to identify your sources if you were doing that. Uh So Plunderphonics was really blatantly using other people's music, but saying it should both be obvious that it's this other person's music changed in some way, made strange in some way. Yeah. Sometimes it's more obscure than other times, but always just announcing that. Uh, On the Plunderphonics CD, there were always singular artists that I could associate with each of the tracks. How do you how do you define plunderphonics for those who are new to it who don't know the background? How do you what in a nutshell what do you tell them? Uh, familiar music made strange. Nice, nice. It's, it's always a different definition, but there's one. that's nice. That's nice and that's nice and simple. And you, and you do it with, with samplers, anything like what? How do you come to that? That could be defined anyway, not just samplers. It's it's familiar music yeah. made strange. Well, as I, as nice. I pointed out, uh, uh, record the record player, yeah, right, just right. different speeds, right, 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 doing right. the scratchy thing, right, all that sort of stuff, right. Uh, wow. So all sorts of different things in order to come up with the track. Yeah, and you become. I mean, you're you're well known for for the plunder phonics thing is a. It's a. It's a moment. I think it's a, it's a. You're well known for this. Like I think it moves the meter in terms of the way we approach. Like the the work that you did in that. You, are you continue? Are you continuing to do it? Plunder phonics. I you guess period, so. yeah, there's you that plunder phonics. There's yes. uh, a related category called that that, uh, that I came up with some kind of tag for called that I call rascally clepitoire. <sighs> That's when I have to write for classical musicians, but we use existing music to transform it into something that they play. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that's the rascally clepitoire. Rascally, rascally clepitoire. 
clapatoire. Clapatoire. Rascally clapatoire. Classical repertoire. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, so plunderphonics, to, yeah. to put a definition on it again, is, yeah. is dealing with these recordings of, of, of music. Because the recordings all through my life have been the yeah. things that I identified as the earth source. And in fact, being a child of the 60s, yeah. there would really only be one version. There might be two versions of the song. There might be a radio edit that was a bit yeah. shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or And there might be a mono mix and a stereo mix. But there wasn't things like remixes by other artists of, mm, mm. of the recording. There would be hundreds of cover versions of something popular, like Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but there would be that one recording, Yesterday, that mm, mm-hmm. stimulated all the, the, uh, all, the, all the cover versions. Right. Probably right. more so right. than the fact that, there, yeah, you could get sheet music also, but mostly it was people, they would hear this thing, and then they would do their version of it. Let, let's hear a, let's hear something from that that Plunderphonic CD that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. I think if we can, just to give the listener a bit of a background on that. What's uh? Well, what we would just you, what do you want to cue? Nice. Impacted for talking about yesterday, we're talking about Paul McCartney. So mm-hmm. let's go to Paul McCartney, where everybody got uh, an anagram for mm-hmm. their name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes. Mm-hmm. So Paul McCartney would be, for instance, Racy Tune Clamp, or he could Beautiful. also he could also Beautiful. be Tuna Cycle Pram. Paul T- McCartney. That's Paul McCartney. Tuna. Yeah. Wow, you're having fun. Uh, oh, he could he could also be Pecan Army Cult. <laughs> so I did a, a three movement, and each movement's only about a minute long. Yeah. Uh, yeah version of a song that's really recognizable in the first movement. Okay. So you asked what I was using back in the 80s, and one of the things I managed to get was a digital sampler uh, that I could put 10 seconds of sound in, and I could divide up that 10 seconds of sound uh, into any number of bits, but as a maximum of 10 seconds of sound. So everything in this piece is 10 seconds of a particular Beatle tune, Paul uh-huh. McCartney sound, that you'll uh-huh. recognize immediately. Uh, and then that was controlled by a computer I had and a sequencer acting as a conductor of how does the 10 seconds of sound get played. Got it, got it. So here's the first movement. So that's just being played through the sampler, and it's um, it sounds like it's fairly linear. Where uh, no, there would be some overlapping also, but uh, although 
you can hear, for instance, yeah. at the end, the phrase is clearly played as it's played in the uh, on the on the the record. It was yeah. the record when I yeah. bought it. Yeah. Uh, it's still chopped up into little chunks, pretty well beat by beat. So then you can take that. Yeah. So then the second movement would be taking the, exactly that same material and saying, yeah. okay, if we move it a little bit more, yeah. can we make it sound like something other than, obviously, that tune, Birthday, yeah. by Paul sure. McCartney and the Beatles. So uh, what I hear in there are some bits that I didn't hear yeah. from the original yeah. song yeah. in the first one. Right. So it may be that it's, an, it's, it's other selections, but it's still this limit of 10 seconds of material from that one song you get to do, to, to I, I got to play with. Then the third Man. section. Can I do the third section too? Yeah. Okay. So this is taking it a little bit further... Rhythmically, okay. let's say. It's also kind of a disintegration of it to make it into something new. Like it, it, it's breaking it and putting it back together in a in a strange way. That, yeah, like it's and that there's one, so many ways to look at it. This, but it's that yeah. one is almost a, a, a tutorial where <laughs> yeah, uh, nice because for me I would have a little bit of trouble. Maybe I don't know. What about you? Hearing that thing there, the sounds, oh, yeah. like name the, sound that of the tune? drums and stuff. Would you able, be able to name that tune for if I played the? Last one first. I, I love this experience of walking us through it. One, two, three was was beautiful, and that's why I heard that disintegration and, yeah, into so it's something introducing new. It's and then totally... you go up to like levels, higher yeah. levels in the game. John, uh, who's your lawyer? I mean, so you put this out in the eighties? Uh, yeah, nineteen eighty nine. And what happens? Well, yeah, there was a lawsuit, but 
that was fairly quickly dealt with. And in a way, that's the beauty of it, right? When pushing an artistic boundary, you, you're bound. Here's the industry tactic: you're something bound should, to have the odd uh, lawsuit if you're doing the art beautifully as you well, are. Well, something I should point out: lawsuits yeah. in music have almost always been about money. So yeah, I made I made put. this. Uh, oh, first as a record, one year there was four tracks, yeah. not including the one we just listened to. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Stravinsky. Yeah. Um, Count Basie, Dolly mm-hmm. Parton, and Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Then, so that was the EP, a twelve-inch EP. And then the next year, I put out a CD with twenty-five tracks, including those and other things. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that got sued. But both of those things were just given away for free. They were never sold, and it said plainly on the cover, "Not for sale," uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I was sued, even though. Um, those who were suing me didn't, ex- which were the major record labels, uh-huh. didn't expect to get any money out of it. They just wanted to stop me. Because yeah. in a way, I was the unfair competition. One guy, uh, Brian Robertson, who was the head of uh, the uh, CRIA yeah, in Canada, yeah, yeah, yeah. said, "Well, if we don't stop this guy, uh, he's just yeah. what's he he's just going to keep giving away free CDs, yeah, and yeah. we can't." Yeah. let that happen yeah. as if I could just infinitely what a beautiful press debate, CDs right, and right, 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 right. this is very different in the digital age where yes if you if, little if did he somebody, know where it was going eh? yeah, yeah. Uh, but what then you have to make hard copies of anything oh my god I'm so inspired by by all of this and and um, I, I feel okay so so yeah and I bring that up as a like the uh, the lawsuit I knew about but um but you're really pushing an artistic, like I'm thinking about when you got that sampler and how on your mind, with your background, what you did was very different than what other people were doing with it in a way at that time, right? Like you're... you're yeah, because there was something I didn't like about a lot of the, the sampler music, which is the, the, the barking dog as yeah. a scale. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's just one of my personal preferences, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is... There is a lot of repetition in the thing that we just... Uh, sure. Because sure. The, the track lasts 60 seconds and there's 10 seconds of sound material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do sometimes uh, really enjoy listening to a really tight funk band, for instance, where just laying into a particular groove and just playing together because right. you hear the little micro variation in the way they play and and it just does seem alive whereas I with any kind of techno track I usually get tired before they get through the four bars of this before Mm -hmm. adding the next layer Mm -hmm. to the thing so Mm -hmm. I I can't listen to that stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, it might be a a neat little riff Mm -hmm. but hearing it once is enough hearing it exactly the same way uh hundreds of times in a eight minute track or something like that is just hell for me uh so sure uh, sure i, 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 I sure. forget what you had said before. no i just I thought when, when you first got that sampler oh, you're so treating sam- it like the an, sampler a musical tends instrument to be something where yeah, you can do a repeating yeah, thing yeah, because yeah. of uh everybody was limited to 10 seconds it didn't matter yeah, whether you had yeah. uh a hundred thousand dollar fair light right. 
uh, or uh, back before that, uh, mm. Mellotron with the Beatles, right. where those right. funny little things of tape. There was right. a very limited amount of sound you could put on, or a Hugh Lacain. Beautiful uh, limitation, uh, though. The, yeah. the um, multi-use, uh, multi-purpose tape recorder mm, mm. that had a keyboard and you could play various loops. You ever yeah. see that one? Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what that's was a one rarity. at UFT, the yeah. basement there. Yeah. Um, so the, re- cool. the repetition aspect of tape music and uh, uh, this digital instrument, the sampler, didn't interest me at all. And I was usually building things where, hmm. for instance, on a keyboard, there would yeah. always be a different sound for each key, yeah. where there was more variety in the thing. So something that would normally be, just to play another short example, yeah. uh, if I can remember the name of it. Okay, let's just go. John, while you're queuing up this next sample, this next uh, example, it's just all the work seems steeped in like this. Is it fair to say it's like a punk rock kind of like you've always been like you were cla- you were cla- in your early years uh, you, you just you went into that remedial class like as a ah, you're you're a, you're a real shit disturber in all of your work. I see this like thread of like I don't know. I'm curious about things that are different. I think you are also. Yeah, oh well, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm inspired. That's why I'm so inspired by a lot of what you bring. Like, you just look at it from such an interesting perspective, and we haven't even started talking yet. But this this one's going to go long. I hope you're okay. Are you okay to go a little longer? Yeah, I'm fine. Not too long. But, yeah. I mean, you're, you're with the CCMC and, and the work that you've done there, too, and, and the, you know, moving moving music stands while more traditional players or like your some of your collaborations over the years i'm interested in like a lot of the way you you want to uh, challenge the form or the tradition of a of a of a of a thing you know of a you know the the audience doesn't clap between the 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 pieces or the suite right it's you know what happens if i get up and move their music stand what will happen to the musician then oh, like yeah. these kind of concepts that you bring like Don't really not. really blow my mind in, in your work right and and this like the and it it starts it, it it runs deep with you right like to your early years and has it caused some trouble well you know we live in a polite country so uh, this uh, is true people rarely accuse me of to my face of being a complete charlatan, but yeah. it has happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I guess that's part of it, though, Trouble right? you? Yeah, good question, right? I mean, you never know it to your face. You, no, have, no. you have a lot more musical talent than me, so it's sort of obvious when you're performing, although you do weird things, that... I don't know. I mean... Well, oh. <laughs> have you what? ever been called a charlatan? No, but I I suffer. I think I suffer a lot from from the same kind of thing that you're talking about, which is this. Look, we all have our educations. We all have our upbringings, right? It's it's what we bring to the party, and I'm I'm interested on that end too. With with what you do is, are you you've worked with so many folks from the different worlds of l- literate in music, not literate in music, and have you ever let that be a thing that you've done your work with all of these different people right and it has it ever been a barrier for you you know uh what i'm trying to say is i think you've gotten the job done 
with all of the people that you've collaborated with. You've it's a language. Yeah, you've I hope figured so. it out. So, and I get along with people that I work with quite yeah. often. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's. I know there's tons of. Uh, I wish there was tons of more opportunities. Yeah. And uh, but there's That's also there's a nice there's a nice. I guess buffer you have. If you have a reputation as being unpredictable, yep. creatively unpredictable, let's say, yep. as opposed to being somebody that might unpredictably blow up at a session or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, That's not. You don't know what the result's going to be. And um, hmm, hmm. Uh, culturally, let's say, yes, as a shit disturber, uh, then it's very unlikely people who are going to have a lot of trouble with the fact that you are trying to do something different, something creative, uh, it's very unlikely that they're going to pursue you. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. It's also... You're, not, you a, wanna, you're not a threat, though. Like If, it's if a, you do slight you variations do on the same thing over and over again, right? Uh, if you're Philip Glass or something, right. uh, uh, you can really build up a... a, a, a a large amount of uh, uh, work opportunities because right, right. somebody who wants that says, "Hey, I know where to get that." Yeah, that's what that guy does. So, do you find that to be a challenge? Have you found that to be a challenge in your career in that you are changing paths a lot in what you do? Yeah, I do change paths a lot, and um, uh, I have gone through quite a long period now where mm. I'm not working very much. Mm. Um, uh, meaning like those kind of things where somebody asks you to do yes. something, opportunities. Yeah. Opportunities are somewhat sparse now. Uh, and it might just because, you know, I'm an old fart. But um, uh, I think it's directly related to, this I haven't built the structure of, saying, okay, this is the sort of thing I do, including plunder phonics. You know, I think people are sometimes surprised by concert situations I'm in or performance situations I'm in. They're expecting. nothing to do with that. Right, right. Or they, well, uh, for improvised music, there's usually not an audience anyway, so. So, so be it. <laughs> what, what, are, what is that audience expecting? If, yeah. it's, if it's maybe not there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'm pretty predictable in the improvised music world because yeah. I just blow into a saxophone. Yeah, mostly. yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it is difficult to, it's not so much difficult to try to do something different each time. Yeah, because I yeah. find that when I really like something that I did, and I thought, and that was so easy to do that time. Yeah, somehow it just all kind of fit together. Yeah, and I made that really quickly. Uh, hey, I could use that same technique maybe uh-huh. to do another one, uh-huh. which I think works for most people. Uh-huh. You, you get you're, chops you, at something, and you you're get accumulating it. a language or I have, an ability. I have overall. Uh, technical chops of things I can do. Yes. Like uh, what we mentioned editing before. Yeah. Uh, and editing has a lot to do with uh, adjust, uh, uh, placing things in time. And I think time is mm. probably the major structural thing I focus on mm. in music. It's the thing I understand the most mm. is time. And also time in the, in the, the visual arts. Uh, uh, but each project seems to be either... Mm. it's learning new ways of doing things using different programs, because I quite often just use off-the-shelf programs and then try to push them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
or I find that when I return to old programs, I did this piece for this group called Bang in a Can. Yeah. It was commissioned by I saw that. Yeah. Uh, last Bang in a Can Can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year for uh, the 21C Festival in Toronto. Uh-huh. And I have quite often been returning to the 60s. You know, I talked a bit about the 60s in my formative years. Yep. To look for material. Uh, and I once again, although I think I was given free reign as to what I would do for this group of five musicians, the Bang in the Can All-Stars. Yeah. I, for some reason, chose another thing from the 60s as a source material. It was uh-huh. one uh, song, a pop song from the 60s. And I started digging up a lot of the techniques that I found in the 80s for doing things. Uh-huh. Some of them computer-based. Some of them were reel-to-reel tape recorder things. And uh, some of them were very old programs that I managed to get going again mm. and I, I made something that's five minutes long that I like a lot but it was really really hard work to get satisfying results from the same programs oh interesting as I did back then so I've either just lost facility at that but I don't think it's that because even back then if, if a week after doing something really yeah. great say hey I'm going to use this thing again in this next thing I did yeah 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 just wouldn't work yeah that that piece was great I really enjoyed that the uh, the Bang on the Can project what was that like working with them like when they when they came was that as you they were really good yeah uh, I was a bit worried about the playability of the thing it seemed to yeah. go over quite well but yeah. I think it went yeah. out over a bit better if things were lined up. Yeah. Band played great, though. Industry tactics. I mean, sometimes these things happen in the premier Don't performance as well. Don't change things between the dress rehearsal for really complex uh, technical setups and the show. Oh, there it is, a nice simple tactic. Uh, uh, something that I have <laughs> disregarded on many occasions. Mm-hmm. Holly and I did a dance and projection and... Um, uh, recordings show in Ireland. Holly is your partner, yeah? Yes. Holly lives in this house with me. Yes. She's my co-vivant. Beauty, beauty. Keep going. Sorry, for the gentle <laughs> listeners who don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I just like that term, co-vivant. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and I worked up to this show itself that was part mm-hmm. of a festival situation Uh on that day from something like 4 o'clock in the morning to the mm. evening show, mm. trying to get the components together for this thing mm-hmm. that was listed as a work in progress. But we really did have something that was a half an hour show that was really tight. Yeah. But all the components hadn't been put together. We did a dress rehearsal where there were a lot of... Uh, technical difficulties with crew not being there so things weren't mm-hmm. being set up during the dress rehearsal and the dress rehearsal was just a complete disaster mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then there was another hour i think before the show so i was programming things and changing things and finding something in the program that i could kind of override mm. things that were programmed in for the show itself and I finally got it down to where I, I, I thought, okay, this can probably run as something that's not going to send the dancers off on the wrong tangent, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Five minutes before uh, the audience was let in 
and the audience is led into the program in progress. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sometimes, sometimes you do have to keep doing the thing. Uh, uh-huh. uh, nice one. Uh, up until the last minute, it was really scary, but it, it, it uh, the show was really good. That's that's <laughs> nice to hear, right? So, yeah, and yeah. I would have hated to. Uh, well, there was discussion. There was discussion minutes before the show yeah. ran yeah. as to whether uh, it should be uh, uh, canceled, whether oh, it should say wow. oh there was an illness or something, because the dress rehearsal was such a disaster. Oh my God, you gotta love that. And You're I would have, I would never gone. For, I would have gone for attempting it and, and, yeah. and uh, yeah. resulting Good. in a disaster. Rather than pull the plug yeah. before, eh? yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I hate running live shows like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. Usually get somebody that's, that's really good at just the whole mind. You're, you're you're reminding me of a live show when you and Mr. Scott Thompson at the Brampton Indie Arts Festival beckoned the bat. The bat. That was a fantastic memory. Yep. So for the uh, streaming for the podcast audience, we yeah. were in a. Big old theater. Yeah, the Heritage Scott Theater. Scott Thompson and I playing saxophone and trombone, yep. sitting in chairs, not very interesting, except for the fact that a bat was weaving in. I think it was those high pitches, this. man. You're, you you summoned that bat. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> but the audience loved the bat. Oh, didn't we love that show? That was great, man. I mean... Look, I we're uh, we're getting on to the end of our podcast here, and I can, I feel like we just scratched the surface, but we went all over the place with you. But just quickly, you, you can we com- do one more piece? Yeah, well, of course, we're 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 winding down. Okay. Of course, we can. But you're please, you please, yes, of course we can. I'm not this. going anywhere. Let's play some more. And I want to watch that video after we leave. But but so you you uh you come back from Vancouver at some point, right? After yeah s- yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I only did one trimester as a student. Okay, okay, thousand. okay. And then you end up back here. And I want to know what kind of, when do you connect with all these folks I like Bob one Wiseman? Third of a trimester, one trimester. There's three things a year if you do one of them. So is that three one, months? Yeah. Well then. Um, when do you meet Bob Wiseman, Mendelssohn, Joe, Michael Snow, all these guys? Like when, how do you tap into that family? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Well, I'm sure I met Michael Snow, who I knew of for years before and, and knew as a visual artist, yeah. more so than as a musician, yeah. uh, with the dawning of the Music Gallery, which was in 1976, because he was part of the house band, the CCMC. So I remember being there on opening night. Uh, and probably I was there on opening night because of Casey Sokol, who was uh, also part of that band. Okay. Who was up at York University. I was right. up at York University for a bit. Okay. Uh, other people, Bob Wiseman. I'm not sure. Maybe right the Cameron now. House. Well, eventually, Bob eventually? and I were doing okay. uh, Saturday afternoons every week at the Cameron House with other musicians. But I did meet him before then. Uh-huh. I know. Um, can't say, but he was part of. He, well, in fact, I met him. And we may have even been playing together, and then he became part of Blue Rodeo, and we just kept right. playing together, which seemed kind of cool, because yeah, uh, sure. he seemed to have a, a wide stretch. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat, man. And then we were playing Chopin together. Yeah. And then and then I think Eugene Chadbourne plays on one of his records, right? He plays Rake, Electric Rake. Yeah. 
That's nice. That's nice. It all comes together. How do you how do you meet Mendelssohn Joe? Through the same circle? Because I know you, you guys write letters too, right? Oh, Mendelssohn Joe. Well, the first yeah. time I saw Mendelssohn Joe was at Canadian Bandstand in Kitchener, which happened, which was taped every Friday night and they could watch it on Saturday afternoon. And so very rarely, so you go on this show and you would dance. Oh, okay. So the high school is just down the street. We'd go there on Friday evenings and we'd dance to pop hits. Yeah. Uh, what we noticed watching on Saturday morning is you'd rarely see us on camera because we, uh, friends of mine and I, we'd dance really weird. And so That's, yeah. they, they would avoid us with the camera. This goes with the theme of but who you one, are. But one time they had this band there, the McKenna Mendelssohn Mainline. Great. And what I noticed was that uh, I hadn't experienced this before, the whole thing of just doing uh, lip sync for uh-huh. TV, so uh-huh. they were lip syncing to a track. Uh-huh. So there was things that I thought were kind of funny at the time, like uh, the, gu- the guitar chord from the guitarist. Uh, this yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, McKenna's guitar yeah, yeah. was tied up to the a door handle. Stand. Okay, okay, okay. And Great. The, That's hilarious. And, so they're poking fun of it at it. Yeah, and yeah. the, and the uh, guy had his cymbal tightened up really tight, so he didn't want to make too much <laughs> noise in the studio, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Wow, wow. Except for Joe. Like, Joe just sang his heart out on this thing, and he was way out of sync with the recording. Oh, sick. And his mic wasn't live or anything, but you could hear him on the recording and him singing live in the room. Oh. He was wearing about six belts. I think he was also making belts and selling them at the time. He just seemed like an interesting guy. Yeah. Wow. So wow. Uh, I may have sought him out. Hmm. I, if, if I really like what somebody's doing, I... You you I go try on to meet them. well. That's that's in line with him too. He he does the same, and I'm thankful for hungry humans like yourselves. Yeah, it's how we connect. Us weirdos connect in a lot of ways, right? I think you know you started this interview talking about you know not really fitting in or something, or just being I don't know, just being finding it difficult at times to. But you've etched out a fam- a, a large family of people that you work with continuously like i we know a lot of them uh and well many people for many yeah uh, many of the people i work with i've worked with for many 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 years and that kind of answers that satisfying yeah well that answers that question too of i mean if you're if if you're the kind of instigator that you are that pisses everybody off you're not getting a lot of those calls back so to answer our question i think we're okay we should probably check in with each other every now and again you ask me do people think you're an asshole (laughs) you know i mean it's it is a it is a thing that you got to worry about in the line of work that you're in but i i think no man the answer is there like it's you have a long line of uh, projects that you've worked on, on with many of the same usual suspects and and it grows like from the uh, the Bang on a Can All-Stars to uh, let's say the Element Choir or anyone you've collaborated with I mean Christine quite yeah, often yeah, coming up yeah. next month oh yeah what's coming up uh, we're working with her jazz singers at the U of T for um, a, a big singing concert wow wow and what's it, what's the what's the program? Uh, there will be uh, various pieces on the program, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what I'm doing mostly, it seems, in our initial discussions about this, mm-hmm. is figuring out 
where the audience is going to be moving around to and where the singers are going to be appearing from, like out of elevators and things like that. Oh, fun, fun. Where is that going to be? At, at the U of D? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. A fun building to fuck around in. Just don't get above the ceiling. You'll get that asbestos in your bones. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. You're high on my list, and thank I'm really glad we did this. Thank you for asking to come this. over, Richard. Yeah, and um, all the best. I, I'd love to end with a, let's end with a, a tune, shall we? Yeah, and uh, let's end with a, uh, a prelude. I, uh, I still Great. haven't found the, the, the prelude, and it's called prelude. That he's, got the, he's got but the set the, here. Uh, what I think I'd rather do, and this is going to yeah. take a little bit of an introduction. Please. Is uh, back at the turn of the century, I was asked by somebody that I, ended up collaborating with quite a bit mm-hmm. since the mid-80s, uh, the director of the National Ballet, James Kadelka, oh, yeah. on a program of that was focused on Glenn Gould. Uh-huh. And I did a bunch of stuff for that. And the prelude for the the overture, the, or the ariature is the title of the piece, okay. for this uh, concert, um, this ballet uh, uh, concert, is for uh, the ballet orchestra, for orchestra. And the, uh, the, uh, the voice that Glenn Gould uses, mm. uh, specifically a very accurate transcription of the um, singing that they tried to mask when he was doing the re-recording of the Goldberg Variations. Oh, fantastic. For his, kind of his theme song, the the tune that they would play if he'd gone on those talk shows, they would probably play the aria to the Goldberg Variations. And you're shining a light on that in a way. So, there's the technical challenge of getting rid of most of the piano to be able to hear what the voice was doing and then make a transcription of that. Uh, also, for that program, we did a very exact transcription of the piano itself so that a, a, a player piano could play Gould playing that on stage, Wow! which happens at a different part of the program. But wow. in the beginning, it's just the voice of Glenn Gould as sung initially by Benjamin Butterfield, a well-known yeah. tenor, yeah. and uh, then accompanied by his brother uh, Christopher Butterfield, and then there's multi-track several times. So it's a bit of a chorus of Glenn Gould singing, but it's more or less what you would have heard if Glenn Gould had been singing and playing on maybe an electric piano with headphones on, so you couldn't hear the, the piano, but then with an orchestra representing the aria of the Goldberg Variations. So you're, that's called ariature. You're a beautiful so brain. This, this is a live performance. John, of, you never left the brain class for me. You're a beautiful brain. You're not in the, remedi- the remedial program, okay? Or if you are, congratulations. Uh, I'm honored. I'm really honored to have had you on the podcast. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Hey. Ooh. Mm-hmm.
was the Ariature for Orchestra, featuring the National Ballet Orchestra and Benjamin Butterfield, along with his brother Christopher. Thanks again, John, for, for sharing all those wonderful stories. Really meant a lot to have you on the podcast. 
And join us again next time on Industry Tactics in a couple of weeks where we'll talk with Raha Javanthar. Very exciting conversation that we had. Um, if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to FriendlyRich.com. And to learn more about John Oswald's work, go to Phony.com. That's P-F-O-N-Y.com and dig in to this wonderful body of work. And we're actually going to end this with that bang on a can piece that John was mentioning. Here it comes now. Here's fee fi fo fum And we'll see you again soon on Industry Achactics.